Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski, editor at trueidahonews.com and a regular contributor to uncoverdc.com. If you listen to this show, you know that we talk about the values that are needed to preserve this country, the constitutional values, but also from a Judeo-Christian perspective and a Judeo-Christian worldview. And uh, I have to tell you, I happen to enjoy teaching out of 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love is patient, uh, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, and I could go on, but you, I, you get the idea of loving, and you get the idea where Jesus said, no greater love than a man has, and he lays down a life for a friend. Well, today in studio, we've got a couple of guys who actually put their lives on the line every day of their career. What I'm talking about are a couple of retired police officers from a group called Code 321. And I want to welcome to the studio Roger Kenyon and Keith Graves. Roger, Keith, thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. Yeah, appreciate it, Daniel. Um, so you guys are uh, retired police officers, and I have to tell you, special place in my heart, because my father is a retired police officer. He spent 28 years on the force. Uh, we, you know, I just, I, we grew up in the Chicago area, so you know, we, I have experience <laughs> growing up around police officers. Hopefully some of this will uh, help guide the conversation. But tell us a little bit about Code 321 and how it started. So we're the group with a funny name. If you're a cop, you know exactly what it means. Essentially, we started out as a lunch group, and that lunch group was about 40 people from the San Jose, California area. And when you say a group of people, you're talking about retired police officers. Retired cops, yep. Okay. And uh, Code 3 to 1, the name comes from when you see a cop driving down the road and he's got his red lights and sirens on, that's Code 3. He's okay. got an emergency, and he's got to get there right now. And then uh, Code 1 is you get there whenever you feel like it. It's like some point during the day, just take care of this. Okay. And so it's going from red lights and sirens down to I'll get to it when I get to it. Mm -hmm. And cute name that a lot of cops recognize and can associate with. And then uh, one day our founder, the guy that brought everybody together, committed suicide. And it was really tough on all of us. And it made us realize that some of the, the demons that we all carried from you know the things that we had seen and had really still affected us later on, and we wanted to keep the group alive. Um, just the lunch group, we wanted to keep it going, make sure that we could show some support for our brothers and sisters. And so another fellow and I took it over and just decided that there was probably more that we can do besides meet for lunch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one day, uh, Boise Mayor McLean wrote a manifesto that outlined a lot of really bad stuff that scared us. It was stuff that we have all lived through. And just looking at the criminal justice aspect of what was in the manifesto, it was, uh, you can't work with ICE. You have to- ICE being the immigration and uh, customs and then, okay. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you have to take into account uh, somebody's uh, residency status when you make an arrest. We've all lived through that in the states that we came from. And it doesn't work. Some of the unintended consequences is an example with ICE. For me, I was a sergeant in charge of a special operations unit that was tasked with things like human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Well, 
my city, although it's a big city, we don't have a lot of money and we only have four guys investigating these crimes. So we rely on ICE to provide people, aircraft, money to help us with these investigations. And overnight, we can't work with them. Hmm. So that means overnight, we stopped doing human trafficking investigations. Wow. And, you know, I remember coming into our lunch group saying, we should write a letter and make it seem like we're an official association and just address just the criminal justice aspects. And I wrote a seven-page letter to Mayor McLean that outlined why we think it's a bad idea. And we made a website overnight, made a Facebook page overnight. In fact, it's our first Facebook post, I think. Hmm. And uh, 750,000 views later. Wow. And in just a matter of a week, we got calls from the press. We got calls from everybody. And it made us realize where we come from, people don't listen to the police and they especially don't listen to retirees. Here, it's different. And so we decided to form an official organization. And that was probably a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago that that occurred. Our uh, membership is up 380%. We've we think we've done a lot of good to help. So you're an organization of retired police officers. Yep. Doesn't matter what kind of agency, whether it was a sheriff or a police agent, a police officer, or even a federal agency, any kind of poli- police work, they can join. Yep. We have uh, federal agents. We have municipal and sheriffs from all over the place. We have ranks from guys that were just did their entire careers officers, and we have guys that attain the rank of chief and sheriff. Okay, so. You know, there's been a lot of um, bad press over the past year and a half or so with regards to police because of the the protests from, I'll call them the left-wing groups of Antifa and BLM and that kind of thing, where cops uh, get a bad name. And so one of the things that I want to know is how do you vet your people? I mean, because you, because, okay, I've got a friend who's a, who's a deputy and uh, talks about how some cops can get what they call badge heavy, where they get a, f- a feeling of se- self-importance, like they can write the law on the spot and dictate to the person they pulled over what the law is, just make it up. And and I'm going to guess that there's th- those go those do not go away. Those are there. People are out there who who are badge heavy. How do you prevent that from happening in your group? Well, Keith and I were both sergeants and. We're both on the same page in this regard. We've talked about this. I watched my guys and gals like a hawk to make sure they stayed within the Constitution. I did my best to do that. And so it it really comes down a lot of times to what kind of supervision you have and what that supervisor, where, where they are with the Constitution. So unfortunately, a lot of our younger cops are not taught the Constitution in school. Hmm. So they're coming into the business now with uh, lacking that uh, understanding and that information. So I, I think that's a real challenge today for the a lot of the upcoming officers uh, in law enforcement. So do you vet the people coming in? Well, people go through an extensive background check. Before, uh, jo- before joining 321? Oh, no, no. I'm talking about law enforcement in general. Oh, I'm talking about 321. Do we vet people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So before you join, you have to fill out an application process. So if you're a retired officer and you're listening to this, feel mm-hmm. free to join. They can go to code three and then to1.com. Um, you'll code, see up code three, the word two, T O, yep, then the digit one and then dot com. Yep, that's okay. correct. And 
you'll apply. And part of that is you put what agency you worked for, how long you've been a cop, why you retired. And then most agencies give you a retiree ID. It says you're honorably retired and you have to submit that as well. And we're so big now that we could actually just contact somebody from that agency that's already in the group mm. and uh, we can find out, you know, what their status is, you know, that, you know, that they re- did indeed retire honorably. So you started this here in Idaho, correct? We did. Yes. And anybody in the state can join, right? Yes. And right. we actually have members from that are, there's a few members from out of state that are planning to retire here. Because one of the things that we do is we have we have members that are realtors now, and we've got I mean everybody's doing something after retirement. We have people to help them to relocate to come here. Okay, all right, Daniel. I want to go back and revisit something Keith was talking about earlier, and that is uh, Mary, some of Mary McLean's proposed policies. One of those was closing down juvenile halls, and I think what people don't realize is when that happens, that's when the the gang bangers use their younger gang members to commit violent crimes because they know they're not going to be locked up. Mm. And so a lot of those policies have major detrimental effects on our culture, our society, and future victims. So it's it's uh, politicians creating feel-good laws, things that are, we would call virtue signaling, but what your guys are doing is you're pointing out the unintended consequences that you guys have lived out. The realities, the consequences, yes. Yeah. So when we, we do testify at the state house routinely, and one of the things we start with is we're from your future and we're here with a warning. Hmm. And we end it with Idaho's the last foxhole. We have nowhere else to go. Meaning we've already lived through this stuff. Like what, what Roger's talking about with this juvenile hall issue is absolutely correct. You know, if these liberals have their way and now we get rid of juvenile hall, then yes, the gang members indeed will be using juveniles to commit all sorts of heinous crime because there's nothing we can do with that kid. You know, we've lived through that because we've had to deal with that. And so we like to come to testify to say, we've already been there. We already know what the outcome of what you think is going to be a good thing. We already know what the outcome is. And we like to finish with Idaho is like the last good state for the most part. I mean, sure you have Wyoming and South Dakota and some other nice places, but it's dwindling every day. Mm. And really, where else are you going to go to to keep good American values? More than one person that I've talked to across the country uh, have told me that if Idaho falls, uh, the whole country does, because it's Idaho is the last, last real uh, stanchion of, of righteousness and, and uh, constitutional living, which is what you guys were talking about. You know, it's about the Constitution. It's about doing things correctly and according to the law, not overstepping. But you guys are more about, do more than just political things, don't you? Oh, our primary mission is uh, socialization and support of retirees. I mean, that's our primary mission. Let's Um, talk about that. So one of the things, guys might come up here and not know anybody. They have no support system. They have injuries. I'll give an example. One of our members was responding to, 15 years ago, was responding to a murder that just occurred at a school. As he's responding, he was on a motorcycle driving Code 3, red lights and sirens, mm-hmm. and uh, he got hit by a car, and it damaged his leg so, he almost died. His leg is damaged so bad, they just amputated it recently. Wow. But he came here, and the only support system he has, you know, like, I think he has a daughter up here too, but everybody's fairly new here. He had a move. I put an email out to our membership 
saying, hey, we've got a member that needs help. And within half an hour, I had 20 people respond. They were ready to start. Un- These are old guys, you know, ready to unload this guy's, this truck full of stuff. We find workers comp or we find doctors that will accept workers comp. You know, the police officers sustain these injuries that will last the rest of their lives, but we don't have a VA to go to. Oh, yeah. And so we have basically we're stuck with workers comp. Well, who takes out of state workers comp? We've reached out to doctors to find out who does all that. So we've done all this legwork for them so they don't have to. They can literally on our website, they can just pull up and find a workers comp doctor to go to. We have it listed by specific injury, you know, back injury, knee injury, what have you. We have a peer support team. We had that member that committed suicide. I know we've had others that have suicidal ideation because they've seen, I mean, you're not supposed to see all the horrible things that we've seen. So we have a huge peer support team that goes out and uh, and yeah. takes care of them and takes care of our active cops on top of that. And that's so important. I mean, like I said, I grew up the son of a police officer and he would come home and there might have been a very tragic fatal accident or other event. And he would kind of give us the, the 40,000 foot flyover of what happened, like, like this happened in, in a phrase, but all those details are in his head. And mm-hmm. I remember my dad sometimes, you know, kind of staring at the wall for a couple of days, just processing. And that doesn't go away. That's, that stays. Oh no. yeah. And they, you don't just see things, you smell it. You could smell things, mm-hmm. very distinctive smells that you don't smell anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, and the other thing to think about is, you know, law enforcement typically goes over the course of 20, 30 years for people. That's a long time to be subjected to this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So you probably have some PSTD issues and those kind of things, Oh, I too. think that's, yeah, yeah. it's part of, the, part of the gig. And this is what's so frustrating to me is that the, the media, the, the major media out there, is trying to paint the police as these, these bad people. And yet you guys get up every day, you know, a police officer gets up every day, puts on the uniform, steps outside of that house, realizing he or she might not come home because they're, they're doing their job to def- protect and defend the citizens of this country. You know, you're right. I, so I wrote an article the day I retired on how many officers are going to die during your career. And the day I retired, I counted. There was 4,122 police officers died during my career. And, uh, you know, some of those were friends. John Monago is a friend of many people that have retired up here. And we remember the day he died. My last friend to die was last year, Stephen Williams. He's a Moody, Alabama lieutenant that was going to move here. And we were actively talking about finding a job. And he was actually looking at going to Ada County Sheriff's Office. And he was murdered during a domestic violence call. You know, we've we've lost all these friends. And yeah, it, it, it sucks. It never leaves you. And you can't stop thinking about it. Like I wear this bracelet. I know the listeners can't see it, but I'm wearing a bracelet honoring Stephen Williams. I have... Four more of these at home. Wow. You know, and it's like, which one do you wear? You know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is not a career for just everybody. Uh, it's a lot of stress and uh, a lot of pressure, and you have to do everything by the book. Or if, if you make one little mistake and the press excoriates you and, and you're just trying to do the right thing, at least most cops are. Well, you know, Daniel, I remember specifically there's my partner, he, he lives here too. We had a big officer-involved shooting, and I remember uh, I was one of the ones that didn't shoot. My partner was one of the ones that did. Well, at the end of the day, I'm the only one left to take calls in the city. And I remember we had just been involved in this shootout, and I have to go to a domestic violence later that day. 
and I was a young man. And it's like how nobody taught you how to compartmentalize this tragic event where I, I just watched a guy die and the guy just tried to kill us. And now I'm in a domestic violence. And I remember I was the rudest person ever. I was in this domestic violence. Like, you know, what's wrong with you people? Why can't you get along? And you're yelling. And, and I remember they're looking at me like, you know, you're a jerk. I absolutely was. Like, you know, I don't think people realize it. Like the things that that cop might have seen, like people are like, why was that cop a jerk? You have no idea what he just saw. You know, I, I remember doing CPR on babies and then handling calls like it's a regular normal day after that. And I can guarantee you I was a jerk that day Yeah, because you can't get out of your head. It's not normal for you to do CPR on your fifth baby that year. Wow. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. the stuff that they never tell us about on the news. And we don't teach cops how to deal with that. Like for me as a supervisor, if my cops dealt with something like that late, you know, later on when I'm a supervisor, I remember what it was like and I would send them home and we would just work short and I would tell everybody to deal with it. It's better than having that cop out there having to deal with this, right? So now as an organization, as Code 321, uh, Roger, you were telling me that you reach out as an organization to families, uh, active duty police officers, and and work with them too. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Actually, Keith, you could tell the story about the uh, BPD officer's uh, wife that was injured. Yeah, we just had a Boise police officer's wife was uh, had an aneurysm, and part of the aneurysm, she crashed uh, off a bike and had more uh, brain damage from that collision. We sent stuff out to our members saying, hey, we need to raise money for this family because they have a lot of costs that, I mean, he's got to go back to work now while his wife is in another state. So we raised, you know, just our members raised a ton of money, mm. uh, enough so that it was noticed by the Fraternal Order of Police and Boise PD, and, and it, it's all about... We've been there mm-hmm. and we want to support, every, you know, we're here for them. We want to do everything we can to make their life a little bit easier. So reaching out to uh, existing police officers and helping retired police officers uh, readjust to civilian life, as it were. Uh, what else is the group doing? Well, we, uh, we definitely recognize and realize that politics plays a big part in the quality of life of our retirees and the current serving law enforcement officers. So I think that's probably the impetus for us being involved politically uh, the way we are. And, uh, of course, we we do see the um, liberal leftist agenda here coming to Idaho, and uh, we see the impacts it's having on our membership and uh, just our, our population in general in Idaho. So um, that's why we are so active in that that role. Yep. If you're just tuning in, we are listening, uh, we're talking with uh, Roger Kenyon and Keith Graves uh, from Code 321, organization of retired police officers that started here in Idaho. Uh, I guess my, my next question would be, is Code 321 planning on expanding outside of Idaho? Most definitely. We actually have, a, we, we've had, we have members all over the state, but our growth is so rapid we had to get some controls on it. So right now we're in the planning process of opening up chapters in Coeur d'Alene, Sandpoint, Idaho Falls, and Twin Falls. And we're doing that because there are, we estimate, 2,000 retired cops just in Boundary and Bonner County alone. Hmm. You know, two rural states and- Counties. Or two, I'm sorry, two rural counties. And we have that many retirees up there. Um we estimate that there's more retired cops in Idaho than active cops. And, really? Yes. And in fact, right now, 
if Code 3 to 1 was a law enforcement organization, we'd be the biggest law enforcement agency in the state. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, Roger, you're also telling me about some awards you guys are giving out. Tell us about that. Well, we're working towards honoring law enforcement officers that go above and beyond the line of duty. And so uh, we've got some things in the works regarding that to, uh, to honor them. Such yeah. as? Uh, just awards ceremonies for them and, and honoring them at our luncheons um, and recognizing them. Yeah, we have one of the things that we're looking at is the blue, or one of the things that we have, and we actually have a recipient we're going to give to already is the blue heart, which is our version of a purple heart. Oh, wow. And as for an officer that's been shot or stabbed in the line of duty, we're going to have an officer of the year that we're going to honor them, you know, as being one of the top cops. We're looking at agency of the year, you know, meaning uh, an agency has gone above and beyond uh, assisting the citizens of Idaho. This is great because, as you said, that there's no VA for retired police officers. And I know, you know, as, as a retired military, I mean, I, I did six years and I actually have a military disability and I have the support from the VA myself. But what you guys are saying is spot on. That, that my dad, you know, he retired. Uh, there is no organization to help retired police officers. You guys are doing a great service. Yeah, I, the, the awards get, the bigger we get, the the better we get. I mean, this this idea of the awards committee, it came about from an officer that was wounded by a bomb and uh, he was awarded by all these different organizations. And he's like, we should do the same thing here. And uh, he's absolutely right. And he, he single-handedly has set up all of this great recognition stuff uh, for these cops that are out there. It makes you feel good. You know, when other people are right, it's one thing to have your department recognize you, but sometimes the departments don't recognize them mm -hmm. too. And, you know, that's where we're not trying to take the place of that agency, but we want to let the cops in Idaho know we support everything you're doing. We're here for you. We're proud of you. We're proud of what you're doing. And, uh, We've been there, and we want to make sure that you're treated better than we were treated. It so, really is a thankless job. Being a police officer? Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I was, I, and then I was going to wonder, um, what are some of the future things? Besides, you guys are talking some big stuff here, but in our closing minutes, do you have any uh, things you want to share about what Code 321 is going to do in the future? Yeah, the big thing right now is we're going to do that expansion. We're going to open up chapters. Um, the chapters is going to... Really, I think it's going to increase the membership a lot. We'll be able to give more resources to those retirees. We're going to set up peer support teams in those areas as well. Um, those peer support teams we're opening up to active law enforcement officers because we're understanding that um, some of the systems they have now, their department, like if an officer had a critical event that's really bothering them, they're worried that if their department finds out that now they're going to put them on leave but they still may be able to do their job. They're mm -hmm. just afraid of some confidentiality issues. We have our First Amendment rights back. We are not beholden to any law enforcement agency. We can talk to anybody. We can help them. And we don't have to talk to anybody else. And we've got tremendous resources within the organization. I mean, the, the experience we have, the depth of it is just enormous. I mean, we have everything from command staff down to line officers and just the experiences they've had in their agencies over 20, 30 years is just incredible. Yeah. If you, the other thing is, as things come up at the Capitol and they need somebody to testify uh, about a specific thing, we can put an email out to our membership and we can find somebody with that specific skill set that can, they can talk with authority on that. 
So as an example, uh, we can come up with, you know, if it's, if it's an issue about drugs, we've got an enormous amount of people that are former narcotics detectives that worked high profile cases. We got guys that were narcotics officers of the year for an entire state. You know, if there's an issue with, uh, you know, just some individual thing, like, uh, I'll give an example. There was one that came up where they wanted to give illegal aliens driver's licenses we can bring in a commander of a traffic unit of a hundred people to come in and talk about what happened when his state did that. Mm-hmm. And he can come in and talk about like, I know you want to do this, but this is what the harm is going to be. Here's the pros, here's the cons. And we can talk with authority about what's really going to happen about that. So we're, we're going to expand a little bit our availability to talk to people about these things. And I think as we expand into other parts of the state and start providing services to those retirees, naturally, we're going to get more and more of a brain trust that can come in. And the biggest thing is we're from your future and we're here with a warning. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, um, Roger, uh, Keith, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Her pleasure. Uh, it is, thank you. It is a, something that I think people need to know about. Uh, that, 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 like I said, doesn't get reported in the news. The cops are getting a bad rap in the news. It's not fair. Uh, so I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to share what, what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Daniel. Um, and to our listeners, uh, you can um, find out more about Code 321 by going to Code 3, the number 3, the word 2, T-O, the digit 1, and dot .com. Is that correct? That's correct, sir. All right. Excellent. Well, this is Daniel Bobinski with the Voice of Conservative Values, and you can hear us each Saturday morning here on KBXL, but also I want to tell you about a new program that we've got on Brighteon.tv. We've moved, uh, actually, we're not moving, we're staying here, but we're also expanding so that uh, the Voice of Conservative Values will also be on Brighteon.tv. It's going to be a live stream, and our hour-long show will be on Thursday afternoons at uh, 2 p.m. Mountain Time. So if you do want to uh, catch more of what uh, we talk about with uh, conserving the principles that our country uh, was founded on, then you can catch us there as well, brighteon.tv on Thursdays at 2. Anyways, uh, Roger, Keith, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, to our listeners, until next time, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to The Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives Of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.